Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're gonna be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're gonna hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way. Along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener, like chapters of a great book, each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. Well, it's finally happened. After 20 plus years of working out and running, I finally found my favorite shoe ever. Yep, it's here. Two years ago, I swore off of Big Corp shoes. No Nike, no Adidas, no Reebok, no New Balance, no nothing. I just found this new small shoe brand out of Austin, Texas called Atreyu. That's A-T-R-E-Y-U.com. Atreyu comes in five different models, three colorways per model, and it is by far the greatest shoe I've ever worked out in. Whether hitting the pavement or working out at the gym, Atreyu is the best shoe I've ever worn. You can go find them online, and I will swear by them. And now, back to our show. This week we have a very, very special guest. Harper Spiro. Harper is a business coach. She works primarily with solopreneurs, small business owners. She also is the host of an amazing podcast, Made Visible, where she interviews people with invisible illnesses. She is over the century mark with Made Visible at how many episodes right now? 128. 120. Are you doing an episode a week? Yeah. Jesus. 128 episodes and counting, interviewing people who have been affected by invisible illnesses. I've also known Harper for about 37 and a half, a little over 37 and a half years. We're past the half We're, we're birthday past the mark. half birthday mark. So it's been a long time. Uh, without further ado, Harper Beth Spiro. Thank you so much, Stephen Joseph Clare. Thanks Happy for coming. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming. Uh, she flew in, you flew in all the way from Tel Aviv for this interview. I did. Fair to say. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, tell me about your business twofold tell me about your business what you're doing right now and then we'll talk about the podcast but first about your business cool so i launched my podcast me my i launched my business made visible um i'm gonna say that over again i launched my business in 2014 doing coaching and i first started as a career coach and then a life coach and realized that i loved working with people like myself who are solopreneurs and small business owners and i help people launch, start, and build their businesses. So people come to me having no idea how to do the business. They're really good at whatever it is that they do, an interior designer, a health coach, a content creator, and I help them with all the logistics, the marketing, the operations of what it takes to actually go ahead and build that business. Now, what point, now obviously people come to you at different points of the idea phase, the the business is already there, help me grow. Uh, what would you say people, at what point of the process do people predominantly come to you at? I'd say within six months to a year of starting their business. Like they've where hit they a wall? already have a client or two. They've mm. started putting together some social media. They have a website, but they haven't actually gotten it off of the ground. So the intention in working with me is how to really build this out. How do I launch it? How do I get it out into the world? What's my email strategy? And what are the operations behind the scenes? How do I create certain spreadsheets, structures, systems, what to outsource, and really get them feeling like they feel really confident? Have in the you work ever they told do. somebody? Have you ever told somebody like, this idea sucks? 
I have to a certain degree. I had a client years ago who wanted to become an influencer and she walked into my office saying, I want to be an influencer. Did you bite your tongue? Did you laugh? Because I know you like that. And not to say that's not ambitious, but when I think about like someone wanting to be an influencer, I don't think of it as like a growing business. I think of it as a, a, a who this person is. You you don't build an influencer business. I could be wrong. But you just are an influencer and then you just build your your persona. Yeah, I think the challenge with her specifically was that she didn't have a specific topic that she wanted to influence <laughs> on. She just liked the idea of influencing and making money off of content, which I totally get and know lots of people and have clients who do that. But you have to have a core message that you want to be putting out there or brands that you're collaborating with that are aligned that make you influential. It doesn't just happen because you show up one day. So how did you re how did you treat that person? I was really blunt. I'm saying with it like her. you're a doctor. How did you treat that person? <laughs> I was really blunt with her and saying, you know, I think that there's something here. Let's get into the crux of what are you passionate about? What do you value? Where do you think you can be of value to people that can then create content that's you know worth it for people to follow? But you can't go out there with the goal of being an influencer until you have a core message that you feel really strongly about. Amazing. Would you consider yourself an influencer? No. Not even a little bit? No, not at all. There's nobody that you influence. I think on the made visible side, I think that like the content that I create is making an impact on people. You have a specific platform that targets a, a, a super niche and you are a voice of that niche. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a very niche audience yeah. and there's a lot of people who are looking for content around the topic of invisible illness. It's why I started Made Visible in not finding content that I resonated with. Everything out there was so depressing to me around people living with invisible illnesses when it was their reality of living at home and being stuck at home and not really thriving in the world. I wanted content that allowed me to show what it was like for people living with invisible illnesses who were thriving in the world. When when did that start? And that's the, how the idea started. How did you take the idea and actually bring it to fruition? So I helped a friend in January 2018 launch a podcast on motherhood. And I was the executive producer on that and was like, I love this. I'm not a mom. It's amazing what we're doing. I love this role. How do I do it for myself? And in July 2018, I launched Made Visible. And just started reaching out to people in my network. In having an invisible illness myself, I realized who do I know in my world that I can interview and have these conversations with? And then it just broadened over time. People started sending me submissions of wanting to be on the podcast, PR people, friends of friends of friends of friends, people from the podcast who were on the show who connected their friends with me. I have hundreds of people in a spreadsheet that I haven't even tackled that are interested in being on the show. Who's the most first... What's a, I was going to say, who's the most famous person you've interviewed? Most famous person is, I was like, oh God, where's he going with this? Um, most famous person is SD Haim from the band Haim, oh, right. who just toured with Taylor Swift. So that was pretty huge. I guess she's more famous than Hilfiger. Yeah. Yes, Hilfiger's not really like famous. She just... Uh, she's famous and she's amazing. Family. She's become a really dear friend. That's Allie Hilfiger, right? Yeah, she's wonderful. And who was the most, what was... Whose was the most exciting interview that you've ever had? SD was up there. I was really, I was really nervous about that interview. And the minute we got on the line, I was like, I love this woman. We talked for like 45 minutes before and after the interview. She was wonderful. 
And she was big. And the other big one was Genevieve Gorder from HGTV because I'm a huge HGTV and home design and interior design person. And when she walked into the studio, I was trembling. And she also has become a friend and is wonderful. And both Allie and Genevieve have been such a supporter of the podcast. We've done Instagram lives and lots of content to help support the podcast. I love it. And a lot of that, and I'm going to go back to it, it increases your visibility as actually being an influencer. Are you telling me that I'm an influencer? I'm telling you, that's, that's the root of this part of the conversation is that, well, you don't want to admit it, you're an influencer. I think it's the title for me. I just like... How about an impactor? Love it. You can be an impactor. Great. Love it. I'm in it. I'm in. Great. Done. Adding it to my profile. Throwing on the profile. Done. All right. So that was 2018, but let's go much further back, like 10 years before that, because you haven't always been a business coach. Correct. That didn't start till 2014. Correct. How did you become a business coach? What were you, what did you think you were meant to do in life that ultimately fell flat? So I was doing event production and marketing for a small agency and I was working in this building that we're sitting in right now and I walked into a meeting with my boss who never prepped me for meetings. She'd go, let's go, we're going into this new business meeting. She never told me who the client was, no prep. What did did you learn from that? Oh, I'm good on the fly. I I gave a talk two, two days ago to a major corporation I spent an hour preparing. That's just how I function. I'm better that way. The more time I prepare, the better off, the worse I am. So I sat in this meeting with my boss and this other woman. I had no idea who she was other than her name. Her name was Steph Ziv. And I watched the two of them interact. I didn't say a word the entire meeting. And when we ended the meeting, I she handed her business card over to me and I sent her an email and said, what just happened in there? What do you do for a living and how do I do that? And what I learned was she was an executive coach. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I do this with you, with my friends, with my friends of friends. I'm a coach without the title and the salary. How do I go about this? And so I went through a coaching training in 2014 while I was working this full-time job and realized like how naturally this came to me. And it was amazing to have the credentials but ultimately, the skills were all part of me already. Right, and before that, you were somewhat of a of a compass. You were help you help people find their way, for sure. For years, for sure. Yeah, I mean, also you have to keep in mind that I had eight jobs in ten years before I started my business. Can you list them right now? Oh my God, I worked at Buddy Media, I worked at Avon, Bobby Brown, Civilian One Jets, a private jet company owned by Swiss Beats, and a. Wacky dude. Uh, what else? MCT management. A beauty PR firm that I won't mention the name of. And, and then uh, AOC. Razor. Oh, right. Agent of change. Correct. Yeah. So that was eight jobs in 10 years. Every August, I was miserable. Every October, I changed. Looking for something bigger, better, more fulfilling. And they were all roles that I created for myself. I never replaced anyone. But did you always start each job knowing that there was going to be an end somewhat soon because like no. think about it going for going for the private jet company did you when you started that see yourself there for 10 years no absolutely not i knew that i was going to be someone that was going to climb the ladder i never had an assistant role i always went i went from intern to coordinator and i knew that i would need to climb and that 
it was a time when people were jumping around really frequently. But I think when I went in places and went, this doesn't feel right. I want to make more money. I, I, like, I don't like the product so much. I don't love my manager. I think there's more potential. I could provide value more elsewhere. I just got to this point of I want to love what I'm doing. And I think we're of a generation and the one below us that that's really important to us in ways that was not the way our parents, you know, just hustled and worked and you went to the job and that was it. And for me, I need to love what I'm doing because I can't get up in the morning otherwise. Right. And it sounds like what you did, which is a big thing about how kind of the way that the the work, uh, the work, what am I trying to say? The kind of how like work life is now. You don't climb the ladder. It's kind of like you climb the ladder and then you jump to another ladder and then you're climbing that and then you're, you're jumping from ladder to ladder. Sure. But you're growing in title from company to company to company uh, at each one. Was there like a tipping point that kind of because eight jobs in 10 years is a lot. Did each one have like a tipping point where you were like rock bottom, get me out? Yeah, each had a different tipping point. I mean, I think about when I was working at Buddy Media, I was in a role that I was promised that ended up not actually being the role that I had. And every week I would ask my manager, so remember when I was hired for X and I'm doing Y? What's the status of that? And every week she said, I'll get back to you, I'll get back to you, I'll get back to you. And I was sort of over not having what I was promised. It's funny with Buddy. I think about your comrades over at Buddy. Everyone ended up, people that I know, they all ended up being doers. Very much doers. And you said comrade, which is the sock company that came out of one of the people whose businesses was acquired by Buddy Media. That was, uh, that was a Freudian slip. It's a good one. Yeah. Not an ad, but an ad for Comrade Compression Socks. They are the best. So you hate them? Hate them. Hate don't em. travel without them. I don't think you've gone on a flight without wearing Comrade Socks in five years? Correct. Since whenever they started, I've been wearing them regularly. I gave you a pair recently, didn't I? Uh, I don't know about recently, but I definitely have a I pair have of Comrade Socks. for you. Amazing. So you walk out of that meeting, you email this woman, what the hell do you do? You find out she's an executive coach. Yeah. Now, how do you leave AOC? You have this relate. You've been at AOC for two and a half years, which is the longest job you had had in a decade. Correct. So you didn't hate it. You had great coworkers. You had a ton of an anonymity. But now you know you don't want to be there. I knew the day that I started that job that it would be my last job before I started a business. I didn't know what the business was. But I knew that I had the best situation there that I'd ever have in being able to have flexibility, working out of a place like here, Soho House. We were at a WeWork for a period of time. I just had flexibility and freedom to have the ability to prioritize my health, my well-being, my personal life, and not just be bogged down by my job. And so I was sure that was my last job. And your coworkers were also creatives. Incredible. People I'm still in touch with regularly and adore and the clients I worked with, I also still talk to. I ran into one yesterday and we couldn't have hugged each other harder. It's like, I haven't seen you in six, that. seven years and I was so thrilled to see her. So I got really lucky there and working with such amazing people and introduced to people in the nonprofit and personal development and wellness space that I was really passionate about. So when you ask what happened next after that meeting, I started just putting feelers out to people of like, who knows coaches? Who has a coach? Who's worked with a coach before? 
and trying to get an understanding of how do these people build their businesses? How do you get clients? How do you decide your niche? Had these conversations and then did research to learn that a lot of these people went through programs and I decided to go through a program and I did my research. I talked to a few different places, found one that aligned with me to be able to continue working my full-time job. And I did this program called IPEC, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. And it was like a nine month program. And at the end, it was November, 2014, I think it was. And I was just about to launch a website. I had decided to invest in the website. That was my first thing. And at the same time, I was about to hit send and start promoting this new business. My boss came to me and said, this is not working anymore. The structure of this business for everyone to be part of the company full time. How do you feel about going freelance? And I had never believed in manifesting, but oh my God, this is great. I can freelance, make money and build this business. So that's exactly what happened. So how did you go about actually starting the business? I probably, God, that's a great question. I probably sent a lot And also lot of, what you, you mentioned, you researched, how do people find their niche? How did you find your niche at first? Because I know it's changed a couple of times. It goes back to having eight jobs in 10 years. I realized that I was really good at making those transitions and people were, I was attracting those people who were looking to make moves out of their job, out of their jobs. And so I put feelers out to friends. I sent lots of emails. I said, uh, started a newsletter. I was active on Facebook, which was a really big deal then. And I just, you know, got, it was started. It started with friends, like any other business. My clients were my friends, then their friends. How did you, did you feel comfortable charging your friends? They weren't like my best friends. They were more distant people. One was like a past client at a job, um, and I was charging, you know a lot, lot less than I'm charging now. Of course. But I remember when I charged that little, realizing well, that I was more How much were you charging then? Like $50 for an hour. And I would never allow a client to do that now. Uh -huh. So I think there's a starting off point. That first year is so crucial to just learning and trying. And I was writing articles. Well, and... you also were probably like, when, someone, when you're telling someone your rate, for you to even say any number other than free was scary for sure absolutely especially when like you just got your certificate you just got certified and you're finally about to charge holy shit you're gonna trust me and give me your money to do this imposter syndrome times a million a trillion i think about like you know our, our aunt tara you know was always helping me get business and i'd get emails on linkedin messages on linkedin from people like, oh, I know your aunt, and I think that my daughter would be a great fit for you. And I'm like, but does your daughter know that we're talking right now? Like, then I get on the phone with the daughter and she wants nothing to do with this. And why are we on the phone? And the parents just trying to like get their kid a job. Yeah, get their kid a so job. That was a help lot the child. Yeah, help the child find some direction. That was a lot of the beginning. And I was like, okay, I want to work with people who want to work with me, who are excited to invest in themselves and this time and like making moves in their lives. And when I've had preliminary calls with people and they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess this could be helpful. I'm like, but do you wanna be here? Cause otherwise it's not worth either of our time. And I'm really clear on that. I've had calls where I go, you need a therapist, you need a, this type of coach. I think this would be useful. I'm not for everybody. No, but you're genuine and you're not trying to just make the money. You're not trying to actually serve these people. Agreed. So for when sure. did you get to the point where you're like, 
I need to put more time into, not more, I need to put all my time into this business. I got to let go of AOC. It was a very short amount of time that I was freelancing. Let's say that was November, October, November 2014. By the spring of 2015, I was full-time doing this. By the spring of 2015, you were doing this? Okay, so then you were doing this for three years. Tell me about the buildup from 2015 to 2018 before you started your podcast. So what's and, interesting? And uh, I'm assuming there were ups and downs. It's no, got no it was seamless. What it wasn't? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you know my Must first have been client. Scary. You know my first client, who was an interior designer and a friend of a friend. And the minute I said I was going through this training, she said, "Let's do it. I need to work with you. I need you to help me build my business." So she gave me a lot of confidence because she had so much trust in me. And I got lots of referrals from her. But one of the best resources during that time was a Facebook group and community called Dreamers and Doers. Dreamers and Doers. You know it. I got probably 15 to 20 clients in a two-year period from that group. I didn't know you've had 15, 20 clients in your entire career. Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. You had 15 to 20 from this one Facebook yeah. group. We, I think it was tw it was free to start. And then she raised the price to like $20 a month. And now I think it's up to like 75 or 100 To a be month. a part of the Facebook group? Yeah. Oh, it's smart. And the caliber of people was so high. And the founder, Geisha Haas, who's incredible, she knew what everyone was working on at all times. So if someone posted, I'm looking for a business coach, she would post, she would comment every single business coach in the group. And then my, my friends, my clients, would all comment, Harper's the best, love Harper, hire Harper. And it was just this like easy funnel. And the more that I engaged in the group, more people knew who I was and knew what my capabilities were. When you're going through this and you're growing your business and you're learning, what are you doing to further your education? At that point, it was lots of conversations. It was meeting new people, networking, schmoozing. What about, are you, are you reading anything, listening to podcasts? Like, I think that, you know, being a business coach, being a life coach, a business coach, isn't something that's new. And there's a lot of people who have been like the Don of this profession who have put out a lot of literature. You weren't soaking in any of it. Marie Forleo was a big influence in the early days, and she's someone that launched a business school for women. And she was the first event I produced at my last job. So she was always someone that launched a video at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays that I watched every single week. And it was, you know, how to price yourself, how to not let people pick your brain, really like strategic stuff around business that I really followed and really believed in. And I still send people, clients, uh, her links. But no, honestly, I've never been someone that like read business books. We've talked about this before. It's just not how I retain information. As I said, I think Facebook was such a huge resource for me then. And it was following the right people and just knowing the right people and constantly being willing to have conversations with people who are smarter than me in the similar field, in different fields, who just could, you know, spark something. I mean, I had a meeting last week with someone that I'd never met before and she sparked something in me. And now I'm like, oh my God, am I working on this new project because of that conversation? It's so aligned with my business, but it's constantly having new um, ideas and people in your orbit as opposed to like the same people over and over again. 
And that's why I think a lot of people hire me or hire a business coach or a coach in general is to have an outsider's perspective. It's literally the number one reason, especially then you piggyback that on top of the referrals mm -hmm. and then the referrals on top of the referrals that work with her. My business is easily 95% referrals. Now, you being the person that you are putting yourself out there are probably the, one of the small, are the small percentage of coaches who go into these groups. So you have the kerosene being poured on the fire. Was there any moment that you were like, uh, what am I, is this me? I know you had imposter syndrome for a bit, but was there a moment where it was like, is this actually a sustainable business? No, I think that I always trusted myself that I'd figure it out. And if it meant pivoting, that I'd pivot. And Which I have did. many times. I went from career coach. I think I honestly started as a lifestyle management coach. I like found a business card recently. Lifestyle management? Yeah. Like it was my way not of basically the, not being. Not the right choice of words. No, it was basically me being like, I'm a life coach, but I'm creating my own terminology around it. Then career change coach and then business coach. So that's, you know, eight years mm -hmm. of pivots of just titles and the demographic of people that I was working with changing. And my approach has shifted. I mean, there was a period of time where I was on podcasts regularly and I was getting tons of press and thinking of what gives me credibility, what will make me more visible and out in the world and more reputable. And it's interesting because one of the most, outside of the 95% of people who hired me because of referrals, 1% of that is an article that was I was featured in from Six Degrees Society. And the headline was the most connected lady in New York City. And for years, people would contact me from that article saying, I need you. That's fucking awesome. And it's not this like massive publication. I've been featured in the Skim and Health Magazine and all these like really well-known places. That was the most successful thing ever. Well, I guess probably because the eyeballs on there are a lot more unique. Correct. And, you know, we can go back to what we were talking about with like influencers or impactors, like someone with a million followers, like those might not be valuable eyeballs versus someone with 10,000 followers where those are all much more valuable eyeballs. And a huge part of that is about niche. When you have a core group of people who are dedicated to whatever it is, whatever your message is, they want more of whatever you have access to. Fucking love it. So the business has been growing. The podcast then starts in 2018. At what point did the podcast also become a business? When I started taking on sponsors, which was a few months in. And I, I know started, that was that was a little treacherous. Yeah, it's it's still treacherous. Um, getting sponsors when you're a small podcast is very challenging. If you're not Dax Shepard and these other, you know, leading podcasters. Love Dax. I do love Dax. He's on my list of like, please be on my show already. Dax, Dax, <laughs> if anyone knows Dax and listen to this. I have his publicist info. They're just not into it. Uh -huh. It's fine. But if you're not huge, it's really hard to monetize a podcast. Does unless Dax you have, have a, a builder, pl bigger platform. Does Dax have an invisible illness? He does. What? He has psoriatic arthritis and then addiction and alcoholism majorly. Maybe that's not something that they want to talk about. He talks about it all the time on his podcast. Maybe so he talk about talk. it on mine. Yeah. Come on. Dax, come get on Made Visible. 
<laughs> you could be guest number, whatever your lucky number is. Whatever your lucky number is, as long as it's after 128. Yeah. Or, yeah, no. We'll make it, we'll make it work. <laughs> but, but really, I think for me, it was starting the podcast, starting to get sponsors for the show and making sure that they were super aligned with the brand and not being products that I would never use. Um, and that was, you know, great. It was great to work with brands. But again, it was not serious, serious money. And then I realized during the pandemic that something that I absolutely loved doing was writing. And in living with my own invisible illness, I have been in writing classes since 2015 and have been writing. And I realized how can I support other people living with invisible illnesses in writing and sharing their story? So that's when I launched the Made Visible Writing Class. And that was bringing in guest teachers, published, published authors, New York Times bestsellers to share their story of why they put pen to paper, why they published their book, what they included, what they didn't include, and why they decided to put it out into the world. How much did you charge for the writing class? I think it was eight seventy five for eight weeks. Cool. And did you have, were you also able to sell, here's who's going to be guests, and that's probably part of the... For sure, and they promoted it. So that that's was awesome. helpful to get outsiders... They were not necessarily all attendees who were in my network already. And it was cool. I mean, I had a woman who joined from Russia and people from all over the world joining to be in a Zoom room of people with other invisible illnesses to write and tell their story, which was really magical. And then That's last special. year, really special. And then last year, a friend of mine who works at UBS reached out to me and said, I really think that I need to connect you with my employee resource group here that all that does stuff around invisible illness, maybe there's some synergy here. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what an employee resource group is, but I'll go Google it and figure this all out and talk to my friends in HR. And I realized there's such a market for companies to be bringing in people like me to create content, give talks, coach, help with storytelling all around invisible illness. So that's what I've been doing the last few months is giving keynote talks, sharing my story, and then em empowering other employees at companies to write and share their invisible illness story too. It's amazing. So you're growing your coaching business into like higher platforms because while the podcast is a passion, the writing, the writing class is more coaching, speaking at places like UBS, and Diageo, it's more coaching. So let's talk about. Let's mention one of your coaches, your mother. Where's your? How's your? How influential is your mother through all this? You know that answer. She's the best. She's my biggest supporter, other than my dad, of course. But my mom has always been my biggest supporter. As long as you're happy and healthy, you're good. And moving forward. So. Well, I'm saying as long as you're happy and healthy oh, and, yeah. and moving yes. forward. I was yes. like, what do you mean? Yes, yes, yes. She's she's the best in supporting me in she's, – she's very strategic. She always has like, why don't you reach out to so-and-so? Oh, my God. Why did I not think about that person? Well, she was also a bit of a Swiss Army knife herself. If we talk about the apple falling from the tree, she was someone who for decades – had wore many different hats. Yeah, she had a lot and of different careers. And she was a doer before the word doer existed. She had a lot of different careers, and she wears a lot of hats that she doesn't have the title for. 
of like <laughs> lawyer and doctor and advocate and all this stuff related to my health that she doesn't get paid for in any way. But she's she's a, she's a hustler in her own way. I hate that word. You know that. But she's she's made a lot of amazing she's things She's a doer happen. in her own way. She's a doer, not a hustler. <sighs> she's an impactor. She's an impactor. She truly is an impactor. Even if she doesn't want the title and would blush if we said this. Yeah. We'll call her an influencer. <laughs> oh, yeah. She'd love that one. I can see the eyes rolling to the back of her head. Noreen Spiro, influencer. <laughs> Oh, uh, so talking about impacting and influencing in your life, you live in Tel Aviv. We're here in New York. You flew in for the podcast. How long have you been living in Tel Aviv? November will be two years. And how is it being able to run your podcast and your coaching while being in a different country in a different time zone? I love it. I actually prefer it. What's the time difference? Seven hours. So how does that work? I know how time. Seven di- hours. I know how I know how it works, but I'm saying with clients and everything, like how's your? It's ideal for me. I don't. I'm so not a morning person. Even when we were scheduling this, I was like, "Do not tell me I need to be somewhere at ten. That's just not who I am. So, having everyone waking up at like three or four my time allows me to have this whole day of going to the beach, sitting in a coffee shop, and being productive, meeting friends, sleeping in, whatever it is. I have this whole day to myself before a single email comes in. And so I now have the ability to schedule calls between three and nine typically, Monday through Thursday, and it's all stacked back to back. And it allows me to have this whole other, you know, world outside of my business and be productive. So my clients are used to having calls in the morning if they're on the East Coast. LA and West Coast is a little trickier, but I've made it work. And ultimately, what I love about my business is that it can be done anywhere. I can. I have my computer with me today. I will go sit in a coffee shop after this and work. So for me, that's really, really valuable. And at any point, I can travel and do anything and nothing changes about my work. The Tel Aviv lifestyle and the time zone difference sounds as perfect as it gets for you. It does. I mean, listen, I will tell you that in being here for the last two months, escaping the extreme Tel Aviv heat, I have realized the benefits of being in New York and being able to have in-person meetings. And when I left, Absolutely. that didn't exist. That everyone was still fully virtual. So when, when did you move to Tel Aviv? November 2021. Right. Day after Thanksgiving. Day after Thanksgiving. Were you there? No. Nice. No. Didn't want to celebrate that last I, day with me. I, was, I think I saw you the week before. Yeah, I'm sure you did. So, it sounds like you're going to be in Tel Aviv for a long time. We'll see. Yeah, as much as we would love to have you in New York, you sound like Tel Aviv is going to hold on. It sounds like it sounds like Tel Aviv is going to hold on to you for a few more years. We'll see. TBD. Mm-hmm. I right. know I'll be back here at some point. I'll. Uh, I would love to have you back, and I'm going to try and manifest it right now. That sometime, if not in the far future, the near future, just in the future, you come back to New York. Listen, because- if you find me an epic apartment. That could make a make. A well, difference. you've never lived in Brooklyn, and I feel like Brooklyn is much more your speed. We'll see. I've never lived above Twenty Third Street. No, but you lived in. I think you lived on twenty twentieth, twenty first, and twenty second. Correct. <laughs> a lot of pride in that. A lot of pride in that. So, what are you reading right now? Oh, I'm such a bad reader. I literally did a presentation on Tuesday, and in the presentation, I acknowledged that I'm an aspiring good reader. 
because I'm just a crappy reader. Um, I'm not reading anything specific. I just keep accumulating books on my list. That you like want to read? Yeah. And I just keep adding to the list. I'm really big at reading about 20 pages and going, okay, I'm over this. I'm on to the next. Uh, so that's not a great strategy. I don't recommend that. I have my real unique way of doing this. You know, and in thinking about this podcast and coming here, you won't be surprised to hear this, but the book that always comes to mind for me is Just Kids by Patti Smith. And it's something that I've read two or three times and would read again. It is such a New York book. And whether you know or care about Patti Smith, it is like the best book to know about the music scene and the 70s and this iconic musician that you know I'm crazy about. Yeah, and I've I've actually for the last uh, the last like two three days in my car have only been listening to the seventies channel on uh, on Sirius. Wow, any highlights? No, just I I like I hear your father's like type of like you know what I'm saying like the type of music that he that he creates. I now see like the era that he came from. Like everything, like everything he plays, it sounds like it's kind of so from the seventies. He All actually discovered he put on like even the Harry style Spiro. of writing. Yeah, he put on Harry Spiro radio on Spotify the other day, and you get to like hear all the influences. Yeah, and it's amazing. Oh my god, they put Wilco <laughs> in here. Oh my god, this is here. They put Wilco in his. It's like such a you know pat on the shoulder for yeah. him. He loves those moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, it's 2023. You've now been growing your business for almost a decade. What does the future look like? Great question. I guess for me, it's building out this corporate work. I really love working with companies to help them create. What more. was the aha moment I'm working with corporate? Was it the UBS? Was it the Diageo? Was it the combination of both? It was, was the it the, Was it the UBS, the Diageo and seeing like, the price for one speaking engagement. I think it was the connection to UBS to realize how many companies want to but aren't prioritizing their employees' health and, and well-being. So this is a corporate wellness initiative? Yes, it depends on the company. Some people have disability offices. Some people have corporate wellness. It's HR. It's an employee resource group. It really depends on the company. But... It's mostly people who are going, we need to prioritize our employees. We've got mental health covered. We've got disability covered. Oh, this this whole segment of people that we don't even know what they're living with, what they're dealing with. How do we make sure that they feel supported here and we keep retention high? Do you think a lot of that is uh, umbrellaed over mental health? Yes, for sure. Like, and I like, think, a, like 50%, 90%? I don't know the number, but I would say that since 2020, Companies are realizing they have to prioritize this. The challenge is who is actually prioritizing this and who's checking the box and saying, cool, we had that one mental health speaker for the year. We're good. What's your business? What are your business goals between now, which is Q3 2023, between Q3 2023 and Q2 2024, so the next six months or so, what are your biz- what are your biggest business goals? I think a book is on my horizon. I can't share anything So further. you don't read books, but you're going to write a book? Mm-hmm. I read books. I'm just <laughs> not a great reader. God, why'd you have to call me out on that one? Um, yeah, for sure. I 
there's a book on my horizon. I don't know timing and what that and looks I'm going like, to sing, but, but I don't listen to music. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then that's a big one. Releasing new podcast episodes because I've been on hiatus for the last few months. So you've been stuck at 128 for a bit? Yeah. Do you have others that are just ready to drop? I don't. Okay. I needed a little bit of a break to prioritize other things. Uh, and then I'd love to have at least a speaking gig a week at you know these corporations that are well paid and I love doing it and I love connecting with people in this way. And I'm going to launch a, I'm weeks away from launching the Made Visible Storytellers program, which is a combination of my coaching, facilitating, storytelling, basically all of my capabilities to help companies empower their employees to share their stories about invisible illness. Have you created a deck for that? I have. Got it. How, how is it beautiful? Or? It's not beautiful yet. It's is right it? now just copy. Okay. You know it will be beautiful. Yes, yes. Uh, how many pricing tiers do you think you'd go on? You'd go, you'd go into it, something like that. Or it's like, hey, here's what it costs, or here's hey. Here's what it costs. It's either like bring me in for a speaking engagement for an hour or sign up for this 12-week program. So two options. Yeah, they're two totally different things. And potentially, the one-hour speaking gig gets me the 12-week program. Yeah, and I assume if it's something new, they you expect them to bring it in. They do the program, and then they're like, we need to have this once a quarter. Correct. And then it snowballs. Yeah, listen, I had a call with a company last week who immediately said, I need to work with you. And I said, what are your pain points? And he said... I know there are people living with invisible illnesses. We just need them to self-identify. You can't force it out of people. There's lots of HIPAA rules and all of that. So how can you get people to want to share? And that's empowering other employees who are willing to share. I'll think of it. I, I, the word ninja just comes to mind. In what way? Um, you want people to talk about it and feel comfortable. You want people to talk about it and feel comfortable um, and you can't actually ask them. And so it's like, I, I just think stealth, ninja, I'm just thinking branding. Just yeah, way, I think a huge to... part of it is like having other people who are willing to go there, share their story. Hi, here's my story. Share what you want. Uh, and, and that's what I'm doing with companies is really trying to empower people to be vulnerable. To, yeah. To be vulnerable. I mean, I've had people on the podcast where that was their first place they were ever publicly sharing what they were going through. Uh, and, and I think that that's a really powerful tool. And part of that is creating a safe space for them and making them feel like you're in a room that's comfortable and I'm not going to like grill you with questions that are scary. I want you to share what you want to share that can benefit other people and they can learn from you. And if someone's in that room, it's not that they fell into the room. It's that they actually put themselves in the room. For and sure. be able to be able to show people, like, here are other people who have shared, and here are the benefits that they got out of it. And you could probably show that 100% of the time, there isn't someone that shared and felt bad that they shared. 100% of the time, they felt lighter, taller, got a weight off their shoulders. I agree. And I think a lot of my guests come from other guests because they send an email saying, I had such a great time with Harper. I felt so comfortable and safe. This is an amazing platform, whatever it may be, giving me credit that then allows me to get bigger and better guests. And you're gonna get bigger and better guests. And Dax, it's keep... where are you? Dax Shepard, get on the show. So, 
to get Dax on the show, you got to grow and you're growing. But for everybody else, let's get one word of advice for anyone trying to make it. Not in New York. New York. You live in Tel Aviv. So Tel Aviv, New York, London, Buenos Aires. Give me one word of advice for anybody around the world trying to make it. I'm changing my word. I had it planned for weeks. Consistency. You asked for a word. I'm following the rule, which I'm not usually good at doing. Consistency. Think about it how you want. Google it. Ask Siri. Ask Alexa what consistency means. But consistency. Harper Spiro, made visible. Business coach, an overall doer, and one of my favorite people in the world. Thanks for coming on the show. Love you. Love you.